This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, it's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Sherita Brent, here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week. Our guest today is Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. Today is part two of bird gathering. This time we're focusing more on your backyard. What should we be putting in our feeders and bird baths? What type of bird houses provide the best shelter? And how do we keep other critters out of bird feeders and houses? You can join our conversation this morning by calling one 877 mpb ring That's 877-672-7464. Or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week, but our guest is Adam Ronke, wildlife biologist for Mississippi State University. And today is part two of bird gathering. This time we're focusing more on your backyard. What should we be putting in our feeders and bird baths? What type of bird houses provide the best shelter? And how do we keep other critters out of the bird feeder? and houses. Join us this morning at 877-MPB-RING with your questions and comments. The number is 877-672-7464 or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Adam and Dr. Major. How are you two today? Good morning. It's beautiful out. Nice and cool. Yes, (laughs) it is. It's not too cool. It still doesn't Mm. feel like November, but... (laughs) No, no, but I get to wear a vest today, which is great. (laughs) Right, right. I I can't wait for this time of year. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, uh, this is around the time, Dr. Major, where I get concerned for pets. I mean, I know they have fur and things, but I always wonder how they stay warm as the, the weather gets cooler, uh, especially if they're just neighborhood animals, you know, they're in bushes. And you talk sometimes about how they hide under cars and things, and, and that can be a danger to them. Certainly. Uh, most of our pets that are, well, let's start with animals that are outside. They know how to get out of the wind if they can. In the rain, they have places that they can go. And I'm thinking more in terms of both uh, wild animals and feral-type animals. So they, they have some degree of sense about getting out of the out of the weather. Uh, on the other hand, if you have animals that are confined to a yard uh, where they can't get out of uh, the wind, rain, uh, cold weather, and that's a problem then because you need to provide shelter. Uh, to be able to get out of the weather and uh, also, uh, obviously, water and food. The thing you were mentioning about uh, the car situation, usually when we see a good frosty morning, the first good frosty morning uh, in the winter or fall, we we do see some accidents from the standpoint of cats, especially under cars, or actually we've had to extract a few from the fan belt 
uh, where they get down where they can get warm. So um, always be careful. It pays to maybe honk your horn, beep a couple of times, especially if your car is outside there, just to let them know that, hey, we're about to take off. Yeah. And I, I am one who does not underestimate the therapy of a pet video on Facebook. I see some of the funniest things. If I'm in a bad mood, I just go watch cat and dog videos on Facebook, and it just kind of makes me forget about the, the woes of the world for mm-hmm. just a moment. I think mm-hmm. Obama had something to say about the cat videos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But, no, they, they are funny. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's addictive, I think. A lot of a lot of times people spend, I won't say hours, but... A lot of time watching. Yeah, I think I hours would be at the low end. Yes, yeah, right. They have these, these compilation videos of, of of the animals doing funny things, and, and it's just amazing how wonderful they are and how they can be therapeutic to your life. There are lots and lots of stories out about that, about how animals uh, add therapy to your life. Um, so, uh, Adam, let's talk a little bit about what's new at the museum. Yeah, they've got a couple events. Uh, one actually taking place uh, um, uh, later this uh, later this week. Uh, Wood Magic is taking place on November 12th uh, from 12 to 1. Uh, you can call the museum and get uh, more information on that. 601-576-6000. Uh, Wood Magic is a great opportunity for kids and adults to learn about all the different products that we use in our life uh, that come from trees. And when people think of trees, they... They think of mostly paper and paper products or maybe gum and things like that. But you have toothpaste. You have all sorts of things that you wouldn't even think have some type of wood product in it. And uh, the forestry industry being such a big industry here in Mississippi, um, it's really good to know what what can come out of a single tree um, and the products that that they produce for us. So it's a great great program. It's actually part of the MSU Extension Service, um, and they tour around the state um, with this uh, with a bunch of our uh, faculty and associates like myself in the forestry realm and talk about uh, everything that they do there. So that's a lot of fun. It's hands-on, too. Um, They'll get to learn how to... Uh, make bubbles with pieces of wood and all that kind of fun stuff. So it's it's a lot of fun. So it's a great opportunity. So check that out again, November 12th, uh, 12 to 1. It's called Wood Magic. Um, also, uh, November 22nd, so a couple weeks away, but it'll be here before we know it, is uh, Turkey Tuesday. Um, that's going to go from 10 a.m. to noon. You're going to learn everything about the bird, turkey. So um, uh, from, from the... The uh, vocalizations they make, to the mating patterns, to the na- other natural history elements of uh, turkeys, um, and how they uh, how they work and do their living, so to speak, uh, here in uh, Mississippi. So it's a really neat event. They do it annually, and it's kind of fun to do it on the week of Thanksgiving. So okay. it's a lot, a lot of fun. So check that out. Again, if you have any uh, interest in any of those events and need more info, uh, 601-576-6000. I believe both of the events uh, will be included with the um, uh, the fee to get into the museum, which you can call to get those those uh, fee numbers uh, for that. So, Also, uh, Libby, want to remind uh, folks, especially right now, it's a good time, especially after it's a little bit of rain and cold front, it's a great time to hit the trails just to get out, enjoy mm-hmm. the nice weather, especially today. It was beautiful driving in today. Um, but good birding opportunities with these cold fronts coming north we talked about last week. Um, a lot of birds will start pushing through, and a little bit of rain may just energize some of the other critters in this mm-hmm. cool weather to start moving. So hit the trails at the museum or trails anywhere in the neck of the woods that you live. 
All right, we are going to be talking about bird gathering today, and we are focusing more on your backyard. Uh, we have a call, but we're going to go to an email first. This one says, I turned my swimming pool into a pond. Not only did I save money on my insurance, the pool is no longer an attractive nuisance, but I have all kinds of birds and bats coming to drink and eat at my feeder. Cool. Mm. Cool. Not a lot of people are willing to do that, but uh, <laughs> I have uh, heard that before. Uh, the main thing I would say with that, I don't know the depth of the water, but make sure you keep something moving or um, um, you can buy, of course, if it's a pool. I don't know what size it is, but you want to try and contain the mosquito population uh, mm. on that uh, um, I have a, just a little backyard uh, pond, not a pool, uh, but I have to, I use uh, what they call a mosquito fish, which is a native fish that will eat the larva uh, to kind of keep the mosquitoes at bay. If it's, you know, if the water's standing. Also, if you just put a little bit of a pump in there to keep the water moving, that will help disturb the surface, which reduces mosquito use. So, but otherwise, that's, uh, that sounds pretty cool. I'm sure there's a lot of homeowner associations that probably wouldn't approve of that, but rock on, man. That was great. <laughs> so so do birds get competitive at these feeders? Uh, do any of them not get along? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just like anything else. We just get to see it because they're in the concentrated area. Um, you know, some birds will sit on the feeder, kind of like humans that kind of either sit really close to the buffet or sit right on the buffet so they can uh, mm-hmm. stay close to the food. It's a, right. true, it's a true pecking order. That's right. That's right. And then you've got, you know, other birds that will fly in, like chickadees will fly in, get one seed, and then they go back up a, a nearby branch, which is why we recommend having perching areas around it for safe uh, uh, predation issues, but also uh, some birds um, like chickadees and, and uh, uh, tough to titmouse, they actually kind of hammer their, their seeds, yeah. so they actually have to kind of hold it down near the branch and then hammer it so they have to have that structure nearby to do that but yes they will whenever you got 20 30 birds coming to one source they're going to fight over it so yeah (laughs) that's the nature of the beast (laughs) all right we have a call kathleen is an osaika with a question good morning kathleen what do you have for us well good morning on this chilly morning i'm ready for it um i got a bb question uh bb the cat I have adopted, and uh, he, I don't think he could get any bigger, but I swear to God, I think he's getting a tummy. But um, I need to ask Dr. Troy, what makes a cat pull hair out of, off his body, like little tufts of hair, uh, hindquarters and right above his back? Okay. You got your fleas under control. Fleas under control. Uh, that would be the first thing, but uh, some of the cats. How long is his hair? That's a good, good thought. He's a short hair. Okay, but this started yeah. after those canines of whatever sort attacked him and bit him on the right. leg. He his may leg, be having some pain issues. Yeah, uh, he's still limp. Cer- certainly, that could cause some uh, uh, pulling of hair, uh, chewing on his skin, even. Uh, his muscles seem to almost. Uh, Vibrate, tingle, or something right. like that on one so, le- that leg. Right. So some of this could be traumatic from the standpoint of uh, pain, but also uh, a cat could have PTSD type syndrome from being attacked, and could cause some neurological or nervous type situations. So uh, that may be the wrong term, PTSD, for a cat, but still. Oh, I can was, understand it. He was attacked, and certainly. Uh, we see that in certain cats where it's it's more psychological than it is, uh, what shall I say, something like an allergy or some well, parasite. Well, I found him getting fixed till after Christmas because I thought he could not handle the stress. Right. 
that uh, number that I had given y'all before, right. they ride them to somewhere, you know, do their thing with right. the spay and neuter and bring them back. Right. Without me there, a two-hour ride, all that confusion and two-hour back would have been just yeah. too much for him. Well, get him, get him well, and uh, I think You'd he's going to... be surprised, Doc. When I sit down, he automatically comes and he just about well, lays on top of my feet. Well, well he loves. If I'm walking by, he raises up his chin for me to scratch well, under his chin. Well, he loves what? you. You've I given him a good home and taken good care of him. So, let's hope that all continues well. And uh, appreciate your call and, and the update on BB. All right, Kathleen, thank you so much. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we have Ann and Clinton on the line, and we have some lines open this morning. Uh, Adam Ronke is here with us. We're going to talk about bird gathering. What should you be putting in your feeders and bird baths? What types of bird houses provide the best shelter? If you want to give us a call with any questions or comments about that, you can at 877-MPB-RING. Also, if you have any pet questions, you can call us as well. Dr. Troy Major is here today. 877-672-7464 is the number. We do have some lines open, or you can send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from Kyle Wynn & Associates, an elder law firm with offices in Ridgeland, Diamond Head, and Hernando, assisting clients throughout the state with estate planning, including trusts, avoidance of probate, and nursing home asset protection. Details at kyle-wynn.com. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sharia Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio. Coming up this week on MPB's At Issue, election upset. The voters have chosen businessman Donald Trump to be the next president of the United States. MPB political analysts Republican Austin Barber and Democrat Brandon Jones break down how Trump defeated Hillary Clinton, what they expect during the Trump presidency, and what it could mean for Mississippi. Join us for Mississippi's only statewide television news program, At Issue, this Friday at 7.30 p.m. on MPB-TV. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. And welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined by Dr. Troy Major and Adam Ronke. Today is part two of Bird Gathering. This time we're focusing more on your backyard. What should you be putting in your feeders and bird baths? What types of bird houses provide the best shelter? And how do you keep other critters out of the bird feeders and houses? If you have any questions about that, call us at 877-MPB-RING. And in addition, if you have any pet questions about your cats, dogs, or other pets, you can call us 877 877- 
1-800-672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. We go back to the phones. Anne is in Clinton with a question. Good morning, Anne. What do you have for us? Oh, good morning. Hey. I'm cleaning out cabinets, and I found a jar full of, uh, about half full of popcorn, popping pop- popcorn. Uh, should I, can I, or pop it and give it to the birds or not pop it and give it to the birds or just not give it to them at all or what? Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with popping uh, pop- popcorn, popping corn, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know a lot of, you know, there's corn mix uh, in a lot of these mix feeds and people put corn out for other things. Um, I'm, I'm, my gut's telling me I'm going to recommend you not probably to, to, to put it out. Um, it's not really the corn in general is not always the best uh, and it will also not only track uh, uh, birds but other critters that you may not be interested in having in your your feeding area or in your backyard altogether so I'd probably recommend uh, disposing of it uh, or if it's still good go ahead pop it and enjoy it but uh, um, I would probably refrain from uh, doing that just personal preference uh, with that. Well that kind of sounds like where I was going anyway because I sure wasn't going to eat it myself. <laughs> well, that's not right. You're going to give it to the bird? No, I'm just kidding. I would say, you know, popcorn, and a lot of people love to feed bread, and I understand it makes a great connection, with, especially with kids and waterfowl and things like that, but a lot of these wild birds can come very dependent on that bread, and it's actually about the worst thing you could uh, feed to them because it's not really well-balanced, um, and particularly when uh, you're feeding the ducklings and the young they get uh, honed in on it, and it just it concentrates animals, and it just uh, it's not the best behavior uh, to encourage both for humans and and wildlife together. So it's best to observe them from a little bit of a distance. But I understand the attraction of wanting to to feed animals in that, in that sense. But I I highly recommend not to do it because it's usually not. I'd hate to waste it, but I, I understand. We'll throw it away because it's not it's too old, really. Yeah, I understand. All right, Thanks, Ann. Ann. Thank you so much for your call. Uh, I've heard that some birds eat peanut butter. Is is that true? Is yes, it- um, that's actually a fun thing you can do, um, uh, especially this time of year. I used to do it all the time when I was a kid with my mom. You know, go collect pine cones. You know, we only got about ten billion in the state. Uh, right. Um, I probably got a thousand in, in just the two yards next to me with all the pine trees in my neighborhood. Uh, you can use pine cones and uh, you can slather them in, in peanut butter and actually roll them in seeds and. Um, it provides a high fat uh, content. It's it's kind of similar to suet in, in that sense, and you can do that for. There's a lot of events called Christmas for the birds that will do that event, and you can take them home and hang them like ornaments on on, oh. the, on the trees outside. It's a nice thing to do with with kids, but that's something I would recommend. But also th- other things. Particularly if you have a chocolate lab, like Dr. Major knows I have, uh, <laughs> that likes peanut butter, um, you got to be careful and make sure you put it high enough, or they're going to be mm-hmm. chomping on a pine cone. So <laughs> oh, yeah. you got to deal with that issue later on. So right. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we go next to Anthony, who's in Jackson, with a question. Good morning, Anthony. What do you have for us? Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. What do you have for us? Uh, we have a Yorkie poo, and the dog seems very adverse to being house trained. It's sporadic on uh, using the pad or whatnot. And I was wanting advice on how someone should go about training that type of dog. How, how old is this dog? Uh, probably two and a half now. Right. So a lot of this is probably already ingrained in his in his mind as far as what he can do. 
one of the best ways, of course, to house train a dog, if they are uh, amenable to it, would be crate training, keeping them in a crate. Uh, let's uh, say after you feed, take him outside, or if you're using the pads. Pads always are variable. Uh, the dogs, if they're there and can do it, we, we have some dogs that go to the pad all the time. Others sporadically. So it's better if you can to, to get him to go outside. Or Is it a male or female? Female. Female. In my experience, having had Yorkies, they're one of the more difficult uh, small dogs to train. And uh, I'm not sure exactly why that is true, but if you can work at getting this dog outside after it eats for uh, 10 to 15 minutes uh, first thing in the morning, but I would try the crate training. By crate, I'm talking about a a large kennel and uh, confine the dog uh, to that except when you're trying to get it to go out. And that's a little bit hard in a dog that's two and a half years old and is used to having the run of the house probably. Uh, There are some uh, things online about crate training which might help you. Uh, I wish I could give you more advice, but it's difficult once they get to that age. All right, Anthony, thank you for your call, and good luck to you. We appreciate you calling in. Uh, Okay, we go next to Mikey in Mobile with an uh, animal safety comment. Good morning, Mikey. Oh, good morning. Hey. I'm sorry. I was surprised by the um, sudden. Uh, anyway, uh, 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 first of all, I'd like to say that the pine cone and peanut butter thing, actually, I had forgotten about that, and I'm going to be using that again. And I hope that if you have, like the lady was saying, if you have older um, things that you don't necessarily, maybe they've gotten some of those Egyptian things that, that hatch in them or whatever, uh, cereals, uh, crushing them and coating the peanut butter on the edges of the pine cones. Would that be good? Oh, that's fine. I'm just, uh, and, um, I'm not providing any uh, scientific backing besides I'm just not a big fan of using some particular house house food or products just because it can encourage other critters that you maybe you're not trying to attract and then usually i get a phone call back um on how to how to deal deal with that issue but i mean you know here i'm promoting the use of peanut butter but not popcorn so i I just i try to i try to actually encourage people to do native plants and other things where they don't have to feed as much just because it can cause problems but i also have bird feeders in my backyard too so i'm just trying i try to recommend a happy medium um just because a lot of people you'd be surprised and the pictures that I get sent the, the things that people put out in the backyard for a while, like like half eaten oh, steaks and no, all the stuff like that. So, <laughs> steaks, I, oh, wow. steaks, yeah, and you know, and you know, you'd be surprised on what people put outside. So, I just I try to make to it a backyard. habit not to recommend uh, recommend uh, other type of house food, so to speak. So, but I mean, I think that would work. That would probably work fine. Okay, and I have a suggestion because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mentioning these things in regard to looking forward to the frigid upcoming weather. Um, and Sharita, you as a drummer, of course, will appreciate this. Um, okay, a drummer who uses mallets. Um, uh, uh, when the weather gets cold enough, um, or before it gets cold enough, even uh, when it gets cold enough, you put on gloves and you go out and you hammer. Are you, um, uh, uh-oh, 
that was one of my dogs. Um, uh, you pick out a particular rhythm that you like, and you and you do that on the hoods or the fenders before you start the vehicles. And it also deters rodents, whom uh, my mechanic tells me uh, has have done. Uh, you know, things that I had to go in and go, what's up? Why ain't it starting? <laughs> Mikey, you scared me for a minute there. I thought you got attacked by a bat or something. <laughs> no, no, it's a little bitty dog, but he can do, he can knock some stuff over. What can I tell you? <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate your call, Mikey. Thank you so much. And uh, have a great day. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really tickled. I'm composed myself. Uh, Lisa is in Newton with a question. Good morning, Lisa. Lisa, you're on the air. Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a question. Well, actually, I've got two questions. I thought of while I was on hold, the second one. Um, first question, my sister and I had put out a bird feeder uh, for the hummingbirds, um, and it was with the, the, the stuff that's already pre-mixed that you can get from, like, Walmart or whatever. It's the, the red nectar stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. But the bees wind up taking it over. How can we keep the bees off the feeder so the hummingbirds can have it? Yeah, that uh, can be an issue. I've had it in my own yard, too. Um, I haven't kept up on all the different uh, feeder uh, designs, particularly for hummingbird feeders, but I do know that they have uh, some styles of hummingbird feeders that can help reduce that where the the bees can't uh, reach the reach the nectar, so to speak, the sugar water to help reduce that. Mm-hmm. So you may want to look. Um, I'm familiar with Newton. You may want to check out Meridian or if uh, you're in Jackson sometime. Uh, I don't have any stock in, in the business, but Birds Unlimited or look on Birds Unlimited online. Uh, they tend to have a lot more selection um, okay. uh, as far as different type of feeders um, than some of our, our traditional box stores. And, again, that's no slight against them. They just have more variety because that's what they focus on. So you may look at that if you continue to have an issue uh, with that. So, And, and another plug, too, um, it's, I know the mix is easy to, to purchase, but uh, you can save a little money because really all you need to do is use uh, sugar, sugar water. The red dye really isn't uh, necessary. The red is, uh, attracts hummingbirds into the area but a lot of the feeders have red coloration to them anyway so you may want to try that if you're doing a lot of feeding um people uh, end up making their own mix and you can look up online there's a lot of a couple parts of sugar to to water and make your own that way to save a little money on that side okay okay well that makes sense can i ask you another question yes Mm -hmm. this one's about my dog okay okay he's an aussie corgi um very smart, very intelligent dog, but he loves to eat anything that I eat. He, I mean, is it safe for him to have like powdered donuts or Doritos? Because sometimes, because I'm a truck driver, so if some of it falls, he, you know, he'll jump right on it, and he loves it. it is it bad for him? He's He'll eat lettuce, tomatoes. <laughs> he's already he spoiled pretty badly, I'm sure, right now. Yes, uh, yes You know, to say that. To pick up uh, whatever drops and everything, I would not encourage it. Though I mean, we, you know, I love Doritos, but they say not to eat anything that leaves Yellowstone on your fingers. Uh, so, but, but anyway, that's a joke. But I've heard that before. Uh, just be careful with that. And uh, I would, you know, across the board, you say no, don't feed your dog what you're eating. But how many people abide by that? So just don't overdo it and be careful with what you give. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay, Lisa, thank you for your call. 
Uh, we go to Jackie in Madison, who has a question. Good morning, Jackie. What do you have for us? Hello. Um, my husband and I have adopted border collies for most of our life from people who get them and um, think they're an inside dog. So we've been contacted about two males. One is two years old and the other is about nine years old, but they're not neutered. And I'm cautious about neutering a dog that's older. So I wondered if there was a problem with that or what recommendations there might be. And do you have these dogs now, or are you planning no, on... No, no, they're actually, uh, you know, there's a, a group for every breed, but yes. we're dealing with Border Collie Rescue in right. North Carolina, and um, we've been approached by two very pretty dogs, but the people who had them yes. thought about breeding them, and then they decided not to, so right. if we got them, we would definitely neuter them. I would suggest, yes, that you should do it. If the nine-year-old checks out, uh, and I would say check out both of them from the standpoint of uh, blood work, prior to doing that uh and you know we've neutered dogs that old some dogs do quite well not to neuter them and there's controversy over whether to neuter or not but in general the acceptance is go on and neuter because they seem to be better adapted especially with two males uh to get along with each other so i i would suggest in answer to your question yes i would have them neutered okay thank you okay All right, Jackie, thank you for your call. We need to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll continue talking about bird feeders. We're focusing on your backyard. What should you be putting in your feeders and bird baths? What type of bird houses provide the best shelter? And how do you keep other critters out of your bird feeders and houses? We'll talk about those things when we get back from the break. You can join us if you have any questions or comments. The number is 877-MPB-RING. Currently, all our lines are open. Also, if you have any animal questions, pet dog questions, you can give us a call because Dr. Troy Major is here as well, along with Adam Runke. The number is 877-672-7464 or email animals at mpbonline.org. This is Think Radio. Radio from classical to bluegrass and everything in between. MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Today is Thursday, but you know what tomorrow is? It's Friday, and that means high school football. Hello, everyone. I'm Russ Robinson. Join me, Jay White, Jake Wimberly, George Broadstreet, and the whole gang as we bring you all the scores and the stories that make up high school football across the state of Mississippi. So join us tomorrow night at 10, right here on MPB Think Radio. About one in five Americans now lives in a state where recreational marijuana is legal. That's after ballot initiatives passed in several states this week, including California. 
advocates there say it's a tipping point. It's going to change a national discussion on cannabis reform. I'm Audie Cornish. That story later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. I'm Sherita Brent, joined today by Dr. Troy Major and Adam Ronke. Kevin Farrell and Libby Hartfield are out this week, but today we're focusing on your backyard. We're talking about bird gathering. What should you be putting in your feeders and bird baths? What types of bird houses provide the best shelter? And how do you keep other critters out of the bird feeders and houses? Give us a call if you have any questions or comments about those topics. In addition, if you have any pet questions, Dr. Troy Major is here to answer those. We do have some lines open. The number is 877 MP. Ring. That's 877-672-7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. All right, we have a message. It says, Jamie from Ripley called and said, putting Vaseline on the entrance of the feeder will keep the bees out. Yeah, that's a little trick uh, that I, I forgot about. So thanks for that uh, reminder from Ripley there. That's a, a good idea. Um, you know, don't have to put it on too generously, but it, it helps. I believe it, uh, I'm not an entomologist, but I believe it irritates the bees um, mm-hmm. and they, they tend to get away from it with that. So that is another good option there too. But they do make other feeders um, that uh, help with that also where they can't access it as easy and they kind of give up and go away. So Okay. So how important is the location of the feeder in the backyard? So yeah, feeder location is uh, very important. Um, this time of year, um, we're typically not talking down on the coast. We're talking more about uh, hummingbird feeders. I've gotten yelled at before with that. Uh, there's an argument in keeping up uh, or putting them away. But especially down on the coast, hummingbird feeders uh, are a lot of times maintained through the year. Long as you got to keep changing the water and keep them keep them clean. That's the case with all feeders, um, and we're all notoriously bad at keeping feeders clean. Um, both hummingbird feeders and uh, seed feeders. Hummingbird feeders tend to get. Uh, nasty quick if we get a warm spell uh, for sure so but are are there any chemicals that you should uh, stay away from when you're cleaning the feeders you know a lot of times you can get away with just doing it with uh, uh, water but you can do it with a very mild bleach solution like 10 percent make sure you rinse it real good and let it air dry is really good if it's really bad you may need to use soap but just make sure you rinse it really really well particularly in the hummingbird feeder um, and let it air dry but a little 10 percent bleach solution is usually what i use i mean you can just get you know do that with with however much water you have you know a, a one part to ten parts nine parts water and you get your ten percent mm-hmm. uh, that way so uh, real easy to do make sure you scrub and get feces and everything off of the, the seed feeders um, and all the other uh, gunk out of the hummingbird feeders particularly inside in those little uh, outlets where the birds actually probing to get the the uh, sugar water out of it's really really important because you got to remember again we're concentrating these animals unnaturally uh, unnatural concentration around these feeders into one area repeatedly day after day after day um, and it's just like humans we were talking about this before everyone getting their flu shot and everything um, it's best to try and keep that clean um, and in a lot of cases if you're feeding heavily as far as uh, uh, feeding stations you know seed stations multiple feeders I would actually recommend that maybe you move it into different parts of the yard throughout the year that way it kind of gives that area a break because of all the seed falling and fecal matter falling kind of let that
that recover and you can move it to another part of the yard mm -hmm. um, if you're feeding a lot if you have like four or five six feeders I highly recommend that you do that also um, so location both for your feeders and your water, you want to, in this time of year, you want to put them in a place where obviously you can view them nicely, but not too close to windows, particularly this time of year because sun glare can be an issue and birds will hit windows all the time, uh, mm. particularly if sun glare is uh, happening or they, can, they can't perceive the window because it's going straight through with the, the foliage drop this time of year. That can become a real issue. So close to where you can see them, but not too close to where it puts them in, in danger with that. You want cover in the... Uh, Proximity, but you don't want it right up to the feeder. You want it about uh, eight, ten feet away from the feeder. Five feet in some cases is all right. That provides perching areas for for predation lookout points, but also like I was talking about, where they can go to the feeder. Uh, in the case of the chickadee, grab grab a seed, go up, perch, hammer hammer it open, eat the seed, fly back down. So if you have feeders out in the general wide open, you're probably going to have a lot less attraction to it. You'll get some of the more open area type birds like morning doves, things like that, but you're not going to get a lot of the perching birds because they need that perching site. And it also allows more birds to be in the area because they can hang up, like you were talking about before, the competition. They can perch up above and kind of wait their turn and then flit down uh, mm -hmm. to, to the feeder. Um, but that's really important because predation can become an issue. Hawks really start queuing in on bird feeders, which they got to eat too. Um, but mm -hmm. also, particularly outdoor cats, I do that for. You want cover, but not too close to the feeder where the cat can get real close to a lot of birds at once because their success rate will go up as far as getting a bird that way. And if you do have an outdoor cat and you're feeding, I really would recommend you put the cat up if you can. I know it's extremely hard once they're outside or you got neighbor cats. That's why I try to give the 8 to 10-foot distance. It usually gives them a pretty good chance of escaping an attack from outdoor cats. Um, also, water is actually more important than really a bird feeder uh, mm -hmm. this time of year, particularly when we get cold and um, we have uh, any freeze over uh, this time of year. Um, you really want to make sure it's clean water, but it's accessible. So if you have a deep bucket out there or a deep pond like the pool we were talking about before, mm -hmm. some birds will get it off the wing, so to speak, but a lot of birds still won't be able to access that. So if you have access points into a small pond, um, you know, one of these preformed plastic ponds with a pump or something like that, putting rocks or putting a branch that goes down into the water where the smaller birds can access it uh, would be a great way of doing that. Same thing with bird bass. You want to put a rock in the center of it or fill it up to enough where they can reach it from the edge of, edge of that. Um, again, being smart and not putting it right next to cover where they're open for attack um, from uh, predators, both natural and not natural with uh, uh, outdoor cats. As far as type of uh, uh, feeders, there's all sorts of type types that you can use. Um, we have perching, you have tubes, uh, you have sock feeders for the finches, you have platform feeders and other specialty feeders for woodpeckers and things like that. Perching feeder, you're going to get probably 80% of your birds on that. That's just the typical bird feeder you think about. Um, that's typical where the bird is standing on a perch and then facing forward. We're kind of getting down in the weeds here, but it is important. <laughs> but facing forward and feeding, uh, a tube provides more birds on that. It's just a straight plastic tube or a metal tube or multiple feeding locations on it. And then uh, platform feeders are really important because you get a lot of your ground birds that won't go to a perching pe perching feeder. Um, so having let's some get, diversity let's, uh, with that. Continue mm -hmm. that in just a second. We mm -hmm. have uh, a whole lot of calls to get oh, to. Oh, man, look at that. That's yeah. all right. Uh, Camille mm -hmm. is in Oxford with a question. Good morning, Camille. Mm -hmm. Hi, good morning. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are y'all doing? Doing great. Okay, well, I recently took in a baby squirrel that had fallen out of the tree. 
And um, we kind of nursed it back to health, um, fed it pet formula and everything. And it kind of got to the point where he got domesticated and he was following me around and he would just sit on our laps and, you know, he was comfy with us. Well, we were outside the other day and we just kind of put him down on the ground and he ran up a tree. And so we kind of just took that as a message as like, you know, we let him go. He's up there in the tree and he's going to be okay. Is he going to be okay? Is he going to be able to survive? Because he was living with us for four or five weeks. Uh, I can't give you a definitive answer on that. I mean, if he took off on his own, um, I mean, there's a chance that he could. Um, I don't know how young he was when you took him in, but um, this this is um, this is the hard part when when people uh, t- take in wildlife, and and I understand why you do. People care about them, and they want to try and help them in a situation, especially when they're they're orphaned or abandoned in, in a certain way. Um, I can't give you a definitive uh, answer on that. We can hope that uh, he, um, he or she will be, but um, you know they are they are rodents, so they're not necessarily long lived. Anyways, I think the average lifespan of a squirrel in Mississippi is about a year and a half. Um, oh goodness! So, but I mean that that's even the ones that are out natural all the time. So, I mean if they're in your backyard and he stays close, um, he may pick up on the feeding habits of, of the other squirrels. So. Um, I can't really give any answer on that, but uh, I would say his chances are probably as good as good as any. Okay. Thank you for that uh, call, Camille. Dr. Major, did you have anything to add? You know, I deal with this pretty much all the time. Anytime after a storm or uh, this sort of thing, certain times of the year, baby squirrels are brought in sometimes with no eyes open. Uh, these are very hard to turn away for certain, and we do have certain people that will nurse these. The problem with this, as I see it, is number one, they become dependent on us. And two, if you release a squirrel in the wild and there are other squirrels there, there's a good chance they're going to attack it. Uh, that may or may not be true. Uh, the other thing I would suggest to this lady, not to keep feeding, but throw, throw some of the food out close to the tree where he went up. Don't continue to do that, but at least give him a chance because he probably doesn't know how to forage at this point. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be be good if she's going to try to do that. Yeah, and also the good thing is, even though with our drought, we in most areas of the state we've had a decent right. acorn drop, and they're dropping right now. So there's plenty of food right. if he can figure if out how to forage, learn, learn how to do it mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. All right, we go next to Ridge in Gulfport, who has a question. Good morning, Ridge. What do you have for us? Oh, I uh, had a. I visited a relative up in the Ozarks, and he had a martin bird feeder, a martin, whatever they are, about six little holes in the cardboard box. And I was, and he, the male followed me, kept diving at me for 200 feet while the female sat in the, or flight in the sky, and I, I would recommend never have a martin bird feeder. Thanks for that story, uh, Rich. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't heard of a martin bird feeder before, but I, are you referring to maybe a purple martin box? They will dive bomb you. Um, a lot of swallows and aerial birds will do that when you get near a nest box. So that sounds like what you uh, what you experienced uh, there. So, and that's the case for for. 
natural nesting areas too you can get that i've been dive bombed by a goshawk before in new york and you Ooh. want to talk about get your attention those things well you'll you'll learn real quick pain's a great teacher when they come after <laughs> you so um but thanks for that story rich all right rich thank I you so much western, western colorado also and the sage hen had some little ones and i stopped my car in the middle of nowhere and she rose up and flew at me so i had to dive back into my car <laughs> yeah oh yeah yeah anytime you get close to wildlife in their in their breeding area or their nest uh, they're going to defend it uh and uh in, in many cases rightfully so so that's why i recommend the breeding season to keep your distance from wildlife uh, especially all right quick thinking rich thank you for your call uh we go next to ann and enterprise who has a question good morning ann good morning um i had a question about wild turkeys we, uh, I live in a very rural area, and we have lots of wild turkeys running around. But recently, I've found out that they have a friend. There's a peacock hanging around with the turkeys. And I want to know, is that normal? Uh, I'm not really a specialist on, on uh, more domesticated, but I think domesticated birds, I'm going to step out on a, on a limb here, no no pun intended, Um <laughs> That uh, they will they will hang out together and Dr. Major, you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. We we have people at campus that do this. I probably should stop talking. They're probably listening. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, this, since I don't know, but I I think it's pretty common when you have domesticated uh, fowl. Well, first of all, it's a little unusual to see a peacock in the wild. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I have had a couple of experiences with uh, peacock in a rural area, and when they make their sound. Kind of makes the hair stand up on yeah, your neck if you right. didn't know there was a peacock there, right? right. Because it yeah. can sound like a wildcat type. Yeah, sound. Oh, it's loud. It's pretty you, loud, but obviously this uh, peacock is uh, joined forces with the turkeys, maybe for uh, some protection type thing, right. just rather than being solitary. So, did you that, say these were domestic turkeys? Or are you talking about wild turkeys? No, wild turkeys. I don't know where the peacock oh, came from. My neighbor. Oh, I'm no sorry. I didn't from either. Okay, I didn't hear that part. Okay. Um, yeah, I they banded together. I, apparently, they took them in. Um, <laughs> I would. Uh, I mean, they're big birds, and typically in wildlife, you don't want to stick out. Um, and peacocks yeah. stick out. I wonder um, what a peacock uh, turkey cross would look like. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if they'll get to that that point. Uh, what I was trying to get to is nothing against the peacock, but uh, like I said, you want you want to blend in in, in nat- native wildlife and things that stick out tend not to live too long so hopefully a coyote won't get them too soon but that's someone's someone's bird that obviously got away from uh where they're where they uh were dropped off so or they could have been dropped off too in rural areas it happens a lot mm-hmm. all right thank you very much mm-hmm. okay and thank you for your call we have some time left if you want to join the conversation 877 mpb ring we have been talking about what should you be putting in your feeders and bird baths what types of bird houses provide the best shelter and we'll also talk about how to get critters out of your bird feeders 877 mpb ring is the number 877-672-7464 you can give us a call also if you have any pet questions as dr major is here or email animals at mpbonline.org aaron is in tupelo with a question good morning aaron what do you have for us yes um i was wondering i stay in like in the pontot county and right right next to lee county uh, line mm-hmm. i was wondering when, when would be the best time to put out um bird uh bird houses to you know have them to move right on in 
So bird feeders you can do year-round, particularly this time of year, I'm, I encourage it. Uh, you can back off in the summer. As far as bird houses go, you're typically not going to get a lot of use until the springtime. So, you know, your late uh, January, February is a great time to look, check out different birdhouses or build build some of your own um, and then start erecting them at that time of the year. For the early uh, breeders like bluebirds, it will start taking taking up houses in late February if we get a, a nice warm snap. Um, so that's the time I would start looking at it. The key thing with birdhouses, I'll say this real quick, is you want to focus on primarily just having wood birdhouses. There's birdhouses made out of everything right now. Not to say some others don't work, but the best success and most natural is a uh, wood uh, uh, house that typically made from cypress or something like that that will take the elements. The last thing I'll say, whatever bird species you're interested in attracting, I would recommend that you look up on, on the Internet, like bluebirds is a common one. There are specific dimensions, both the opening and the depth of the box, uh, size of the box for these different species. So go to some of these society web pages. Uh, there's a lot of information there, and I say that because if the opening is too big, other critters can get in there and eat the young. Um, and if you use these other materials, it can change the internal environment of these these boxes um, and cause harm to the uh, the individuals that are in there. So it kind of sets up a wildlife trap. So I try to encourage people, if you're going to do it, do it right. So check those out and get more information. You can also reach out to your extension office there uh, near Tupelo and, and uh, get some more specific information. All right, Aaron, thanks for that call. We're going to try to squeeze in these last two. Bobby is in Petal with a question about a goldfish. Good morning, Bobby. No, not fish, pink. Gold what? Um, what, what was that? Goldfish. Gold oh, okay. Finch. Okay, finch. All right, I, go ahead. I never know when to put my feeder out in the fall. What time? I'm, I'm uh, in Forest County near Hattiesburg. What time do I expect goldfinches to show up in South Mississippi? Okay. Um, it, it will be situational, uh, um, and you're a little farther south than here. I have not seen a lot of reports of them yet, and I have not seen them in my own yard yet. Uh, I have heard some of them up in the northern part of the state. It stayed warm a little later than normal, so uh, I keep an eye out for them, but you're smart and not putting it out until you really start seeing it because you can just waste the seed. So I would really wait until you start seeing them around, but probably by December you can get away with it with putting some of it out and just keep an eye out for it. Uh, but I have not heard of a lot of reports of goldfinches as of yet. Okay, well, well, I was just, they've had me confused because I put out some of last year's seed before and they won't eat it. And then when I put out fresh seed, they do. So I'm not sure whether they come in October, December, January. So anyway, you're talking about way up in midwinter before they get down here. Uh, well, it's, it can be situational depending on the year and the, and the weather uh, time. Yeah. Uh, so I would think by Thanksgiving dinner, or dinner, <laughs> obviously I'm hungry, um, uh, December you would be fine uh, with that. But, yes, fresh seed, regardless if it's finch uh, seed, the thistle seed, or uh, black oil sunflower seed, do not put old seeds out there. You're, just, you're causing issues for the birds, and a lot of times, like you said, they won't eat it. So um, fresh seed only. All right, Bobby, thank you for your call. Uh, last call goes to Lee in Philly. It was a question. Good morning, Lee. You're on the air. Good morning. How are you this morning? Doing well. Um, I have a wire-tailed terrier, and she seems to be constipated. What can I give her to make her a bowel How How old is this dog? Uh, two. Two. Any idea what she might have eaten that might cause this problem? Uh, no, I feed her right. once, once in the morning, and right. that's the right. regular treats during the day. Okay, if she's straining to go uh, to have a bowel movement, 
Nothing wrong with giving a mild laxative, uh, milk and magnesia, for example, uh, you could give uh, probably a dog her size. If she's a wirehead fox terrier, probably in the 10 to 15 pound range, you could give her a teaspoon of milk and magnesia, which would be five mils. Uh, you could do that twice, but if she hasn't uh, had a bowel movement, you need to get her in to see your vet if if that continues. Okay. Um, I so appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Lee. Uh, Adam, we only have a little time. Uh, mm-hmm. wanted to, to get a quick response from you about how to keep unwanted critters <laughs> away from your feeders. Yeah, there's a lot of gadgets out there with, um, that people use. And you see, you're talking about dog and cat videos. There's videos on throwing squirrels with spring-loaded mechanisms and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> wow. I'm not going to become an advocate of that. But there are, again, at those specialty bird uh, um, uh, businesses that have uh, better uh, quality, typically, and also uh, selection. But there are some that are spring-loaded, not in th- flying the squirrel somewhere, but where the weight of the squirrel triggers the mechanism to close the door so they can't access the food. Sometimes they'll figure that out, too, or something gets jammed up in there. But there are some specialty uh, stations that can do that. And in some cases, like in my neighborhood, it's an endless battle, and you just kind of figure you're going to give up about 20 to 30 percent of your of your feed. But um, placement of those feeders uh, will also help if you can keep them not directly under large trees would help, um, but also um, in heavy squirrel situations, typically that's the problem. Maybe the platform feeder isn't the best option for you. You need to just kind of give up on that option and, and try that. Putting things up on poles sometimes will help. I'm, when I mean that, I mean high, like where you'd actually have to use a ladder or something to get to your, your feeder. Um, that seems to help. Uh, extended cones off of those poles to try and uh, get it and sometimes greased up with Vaseline or something like that can help. Um, but focusing on the feeders um, and the mechanisms they have designed in them will help you a lot with that. All right. Well, Adam, Rocky, thank you so much for mm-hmm. being in today. Dr. Troy Major, thank you as well. If you happen to miss Creature Comforts, uh, don't forget it does repeat on Saturday mornings at 6 a.m. Uh, Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding is provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners like you. Today's show was produced by Jonas Adams and our call screener was Sam Wells. For Dr. Troy Major and Adam Ronke, I'm Sherita Brent. Up next at 10 a.m. is MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. Tune in next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.